values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, let's talk about the election cycle. Updates, it seems like, on a daily basis. We know that both the former president and current president today are on the border. They are going to make their cases at the border for what has now become the number one issue in America, which is the border. Um, and so they'll make their cases today at the, the border. That'll be part of it. But they also have other things that are happening. The Biden approval rating, according to a brand new Reuters poll, has fallen to 37 percent near a historic low, 37 percent approval rating for the current president. The Supreme Court is going to hear the case of whether or not uh, Donald Trump has immunity, presidential immunity. And we now know that isn't going to have a big role in what's going on right now in Colorado and Maine. And now Illinois, as an Illinois judge, has pulled the former president off the ballot in that state. We also understand that Hunter Biden yesterday testified that his father was not involved in any of his business dealings. So the reason why I bring all of those out before we even get into any single thing is that's kind of the picture is we are going to have two presidents go head to head in an election where they both have a resume of four years. But we also have an election cycle. And I think also the uh, attitude toward elections right now that it is going to be as much of what's going on outside of the issues that both of them are strong and weak on as leaders. And it is going to be a lot about their personal lives. Uh, President Biden has got a big hill to climb because it was his Department of Justice that released a, uh, a report questioning his ability to vent to defend himself, his mental acuity and ability to defend himself in a court case. And the American people have a right to ask if you are not able to aid in your own defense, how are you able to run the country for four more years? On the other side of this, President Trump has got court cases across the country. Um, he's been uh, he's being told he's going to pay over three hundred million dollars in a fraud case. Now, Republicans and this is the uh, I guess we should have started there. Republicans largely believe the majority of Republicans believe that this is a witch hunt, that they have this. This is a political um, these accusations against him are largely political. But you're going to have those voters anyway. And on the other side with President Biden, you have people that are defending his mental abilities to do the job and they don't believe there's any. As a matter of fact, I think Chuck Schumer called it right wing propaganda. It wasn't right wing propaganda. It was the Department of Justice under this president that said it. Both sides need to start looking in the middle. That doesn't mean that you change your policies because that's what everybody automatically thinks, that if you're a staunch conservative or you're a staunch liberal, that you have to compromise what your core beliefs are in order to reach people in the middle. And I don't believe that that's true. I believe that you have to realize that they are not bought. They're not sold out to you. They're not. They haven't bought into your logic. They haven't bought into your policies and they haven't bought into your rhetoric that you're going to have to convince them that you are the best person to lead in spite of the perceptions of mental acuity or guilt of crime. Or you are going to have to explain why, if given the choice between those two people, why they should choose you over the other. And the first 
candidate, first party that does that well is going to win. And I don't know which party that's going to be. Because when you look at the when you look at Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York, she's a very staunch liberal Democrat. She hates any movement on immigration. Now, she is in the huge minority in New York right now. She's going to town hall meetings and her own people, her own party is are telling her she's out of her mind. But she's not wavering from what her beliefs are. But if she doesn't moderate the way she talks about these things, she's going to be in trouble when she's, you know, in when she's up for reelection, if she has a challenger, because this has become an issue that the people in the middle are looking at and saying, this is the biggest thing right now. There's over 200,000 people in New York that are migrants and they are a burden on the systems and on the programs that are supposed to aid New Yorkers. In Chicago, they're calling it an invasion. So what does this mean for the election cycle? Is, and with, you know, let's be honest, is, is they're within their own parties. Is President Trump going to be able to moderate his message? Will he even be willing to moderate his message to bring the McCain Republicans or what's considered, they call them rhinos and they call them names, but to call moderate Republicans and bring them back to where they're comfortable voting for him? There were a number of Republicans that publicly came out and said, I'm not voting for Donald Trump. I'll vote for Joe Biden. The problem now on the other side of that is that there is now over three years will be four years of what President Biden has done as president. I don't know how those Republicans, if they're sticking to their principles, say that that's an option this time. But on the other side, President Biden's got some issues. He is talking about the need for reform because that's what people are clamoring for, reform when it comes to his border policies and possibly a return to some of the policies of former President Trump. Is he going to be able to keep his base if he does that? He is hurting himself with his base, especially younger voters, with his stance on Israel. So both presidents the current president and former president, have issues within their parties of convincing people to stay loyal. But that's not their biggest concern because when push comes to shove, if they are the last two standing, by virtue of they say, well, I better than the other, they're going to stay and be party loyal. The deciders in all of this are going to be those, those middle-of-the-road voters. I don't think they're middle-of-the-road in their beliefs. They are middle-of-the-road in who they choose. There's a reason why when you look at polling, um, President Trump is beating President Biden in Arizona, but Kerry Lake is trailing Ruben Gallego, if you believe the polls, and who knows how accurate they are. But when you have polls that show the Republican leading at the top of the ticket, but the Republican lagging a little bit right below that, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because generally speaking, what the top of the ticket does, it flows pretty well down ticket. What that tells me, if there's accuracy in those polls, and we don't know that they are totally accurate this early in the game, is that those independent voters are looking a lot more closely at individuals, what they say, and how they say it. And so there, you've got to figure out a way. If I am, if I were advising, and I certainly don't think anyone's going to pay me for my advice on a campaign, but if I'm advising someone that's running for office, you have to know your room. When you are in, in, and I mean that sincerely, when you go to a church 
and you're a regular at a church, you know that the the pastor, the preacher understands everybody is here to is there to hear the message. And there are going to be a few people that are new and you're going to talk to them later on in the service, but you have a message to the congregation. You have to know that room. But as a pastor, you also have to understand when you're outside of the four walls of your church and you are out there speaking in the community, you have to talk to the community in a way that you realize they're not convinced. They're listening. They're listening, but they're not convinced. And how you speak and the language that you use, and I should say vernacular, the, you know, the catchphrases you use, churchy words, and that, and that it, it turns people off sometimes. So I think that political candidates have got to be a lot more savvy now. They've got to know the room a lot better. They've got to be able to reach people where they are. Go back to the great speakers. I've taught, I've, I've, I've mirrored, I've, I've contrasted how Reagan was able to speak to the American people, how Bill Clinton was able to speak to the American people, two political parties, but both of them great communicators. When Barack Obama made that splash by saying hope and change, he connected with millions of people with that message. You better be more of that now because there are a lot less people that are politically entrenched where they're just going to vote the slate. And I'm anxious to see how this cycle all plays out. In a moment, we are going to talk about ASU. There is an organization at ASU, and I'm going to tell you a student government organization, and the BDS movement. And if you don't know what that is, I've got an explanation of a veto and what I find to be a really funny reason why they did it. I promise you you're going to be interested in this in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, so let me lay this out for you. There is an organization, the student government out at ASU. It's called the Graduate and Professional Student Association. Now, the president of this organization uh, vetoed a bill. Now, BDS is boycott, um, is the boycotting movement and divest, you know, and so that BDS movement that is known by boycott, divest, and sanctions, the group, the organization itself voted, this governmental, student governmental organization, voted on a measure, and they say, I'm just going to tell you what it's about. It is, uh, it is about the an act to stand in solidarity with indigenous sovereignty. What this has to do is with Palestinians, Gaza, and Israel. So they voted on a measure that would boycott uh, Amazon, Starbucks, and uh, another organization as well, but a couple of these major companies. The president of the organization had the opportunity to veto, and she did. But it's why she vetoed that I just find this to be just an example of why some people just can't be taken seriously. Uh, let's be honest. Um Here's the response from the president. She vetoed this bill because it's a massive threat. If this bill gets goes through, ASU might have to strip the GPSA, that's this organization, of its funding to adhere to existing anti-BDS laws. In her statement, she wrote that the specific portion of the bill encouraging a boycott of Starbucks said participants of the boycott of Starbucks could damage the educational opportunities of people because of the Starbucks scholarship. 
Over 25,000 students enrolled in ASU Starbucks College Achievement Program could be on the verge of losing their scholarships, equating to a potential loss of over $250 million. I'd like to emphasize that this total $250 million estimated loss is more than just numbers. It's a lifeline. So... Um, rightfully, the people that voted in favor of this. Now, by the way, I disagree completely with the ideology. The idea, the idea that you're going to punish companies because you, your perceived stance that they agree with Israel and they're not in favor of what you call the indigenous Palestinians, I think is a flawed premise to begin with. But it is, it is hysterical because the members had this to say. Um, you mean to tell me that updating some forms of implement BDS is a burden. Solidarity requires sacrifice. That's the funny part of this. The reason why I bring this up is because um, you've got people that adhere to their ideology, whether you, and I say this, I can appreciate, and I do appreciate activism, even if I disagree with it. And I'm not talking about uh, uh, being uncivil. I'm talking about activists, people that put their their money where their mouth is and people that put their heart on the line and they go out and they speak their mind and they take the political and the and the, you know, the the figurative arrows for the positions that they hold. I respect I really do. So I think this movement is silly. I would tell you that it's a flawed premise, that these are people that do not know the entire story and they are siding with the Palestinians and they are calling them indigenous people and they, they just are wrong. But they're loyal. And they're saying, listen, this requires sacrifice. And the head of the organization said, yeah, but it's a lot of money. I mean, that's the excuse for the veto. Yeah, it's a lot of money. There's a lot of people that might lose their scholarship if we do this. So we're going to protest as long as it doesn't damage us. We're going to protest as long as it damages somebody else. We'll go after um, we'll go after the late Rush Limbaugh and we'll try to go after his sponsors to get his sponsors taken away so that he loses his livelihood. We're going to cancel people with our cancel culture because we think that they're saying and doing the wrong thing. We're going to get people canceled because of their stance on the uh, trans community and and all of those things. You, we're going to get you canceled. We're going to get Kevin Hart canceled canceled from um, <clears throat> from hosting a show uh, or we're going to get this other comedian canceled or we'll get this person canceled because of something they said on Twitter 10 or 12 or 15 years ago. We're going to boycott and we're going to try to get rid of Dave Chappelle because of the things that he says. We're going to go after those people and get them canceled. But wait a minute, you want to boycott Starbucks? That's a lot of money, our college. That might hurt us. Can't have that. And even the members of the organization are saying, come on, you, uh, what are you saying? The solidarity requires sacrifice. Nope, not going to do it. I just, I love the, I, I love that she's being honest. I mean, she came out and said, it's a lot of money. Let's be honest here. 250 million bucks. That's a lot of money. But that's why I don't take a lot of this stuff seriously. If you're not willing to stand up for what you believe in, no matter what the cost is. On the other side of it, I'll give you an example on my side where I, I thought it was the wrong thing to do. If you remember years ago when the gay marriage thing became a big issue and it was a woman, I think she was in Kentucky and she was the person whose job it was to issue marriage licenses and it became legal to marry uh, gay for gay couples to marry there. And she refused. She said, it's against my religion. I'm not going to issue the licenses. Well, your job requires you to issue the license. If 
you're really going to stand up for what you believe in, and I would have respected it if she did, is you say, I'm not going to do this job anymore because I can't fulfill the job requirements. If my job requires me to do that and I don't believe that's the right thing, then I'm willing to lose my job in order to stand up for what I believe. Not, I'm going to keep my job, but I'm not going to do it. You understand? There's a difference. Solidarity sometimes requires sacrifice. And I respect people that do it. There are a lot of people I know that have said, I'm not going to do that. And it costs them to stand in the long run. You look at Dave Chappelle. I used him as an example. Dave Chappelle walked away from $30 million from the Chappelle show. He walked away from $30 million on his show because he didn't believe in what was going on and what was happening behind the scenes. He ended up all right. He came out okay in the end. But that's someone that stands up, whether you agree with them or not, stands up for what they believe in. Coming up in a moment, we are going to talk about the border issue as both the president and the former president head to the border today. We're going to talk about what it means next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, thanks for being here. Andy Fields, ABC, had a report about the dueling border visits. We're going to let you hear this in just a moment. Uh, in Texas, the two presidents, the former President Trump and current President Biden, making two separate trips same day to the southern border of the United States. How will either or both of them be received? I want to start with this. This is a little explanation of what we're going to have today. It is actually dueling border visits in Texas. President Biden heads to Brownsville while the man who told House Republicans reject the Senate border deal, Donald Trump, visits Eagle Pass. White House spokesperson Corinne Jean-Pierre saying they could have already sent more money to fix the problem. Obviously, uh, Republicans have rejected that because of politics. Both Presidents Biden and Trump working to convince voters they have a better illegal immigration solution. This is, again, this is, I think most Americans are frustrated by this. Anybody, I will tell you someone is overtly politically motivated when they, with a straight face, will say, see, blame the Republicans now. They said they wanted it fixed. We had a way to fix it. And they said, no, that proves the Republicans are political. That's one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever heard in my life after what we've witnessed over the last three years. And I don't go far to one way or the other a lot. This is... Ridiculous. Over the last three plus years, we have watched this president reverse over with 80, I think it was 89 executive orders, but it was over 80 executive orders in which he reversed the policies of the previous administration, calling it inhumane. And so with that reversal, we have seen a huge surge at the border, so much so now, even people in his, you don't think that this president is trying to do anything about this because Republicans are upset. No, it's because people in his own party are telling him he has to do something. So what is the president, the current president, what's his agenda going to be? Here's Karen Travers from ABC. During his visit to Brownsville, Texas, President Biden will meet with Border Patrol agents, law enforcement officials, and local leaders. The White House says he'll get a briefing on the situation at the border from officials with the Border Patrol, ICE, and U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. He'll deliver remarks this afternoon and urge Congress to revisit the bipartisan border deal negotiated in the Senate. That deal was stripped from legislation after House Republicans rejected it under political pressure from Donald Trump. So that is the agenda is who, who, who he's going to meet with. 
what will the message be? Will you listen to the message? I will tell you both parties, if it were me, if I were in leadership, I would be talking to the people that know what they're talking about. I would be talking to Border Patrol agents. I would be talking to Sheriff Daniels, Cochise County. I would be talking to the people that have spent their, if not their entire career, big parts of their career on the border doing this. Those would be the people who, that would be advising me, not my political advisors, not the policy advisors. I would go to the people in the trenches and listen to what they had to say. So uh, Jim Ryan, ABC, says some voters on this issue are still not sold out on the former president. Donald Trump will meet today with National Guard troops stationed along the Rio Grande to keep people from crossing illegally among Eagle Pass residents. I'm actually glad that he is coming. He cares about the people in small communities that are being hit with illegals coming through their city. But even in deep red Texas, support for Donald Trump is not universal. As a voter, I wouldn't vote for him for anything. And that's the funny thing about those reports is, of course, nothing is universal. I mean, Reagan won 49 states. He didn't win Minnesota. Nothing's universal. He didn't get 100 percent of the votes. And the guy goes down in history as one of the greatest presidents of the 20th century. The the, the idea and I'm not this is not a defense of Donald Trump. This is the American people are fed up. And anybody that believes that we've got one piece of legislation is well-intentioned with the good things that are in it, that now it's over. How could it possibly be over? I'm going to go back to something I said the other day, and this is not about just this visit. This is about this border issue. Part of what this was they argued about with this was it had border security money in it, but it was also foreign aid money, foreign aid that I believe in Ukraine. Um, it was foreign aid for Israel. It was foreign aid to help Taiwan. I believe that we need to help our allies. I believe that that foreign aid money is is important. I do. But what did they do when this bill was killed? Chuck Schumer went and said to the American people, we are going in and we are getting to work on a foreign aid package and we are not leaving that chamber until we get something done. And miraculously, the Senate hammered one out. Why is it that the border bill, you get one shot? We're going to put something on the table. You're going to either take it to the floor for debate and we'll get some amendments to this because this already is the best thing you're going to get. And if you don't say this one works, you're not getting another one. And it's your fault that we don't get something done. Nobody really believes that. Nobody looks at that and says that's what you do when there's something important. It's ridiculous. I will tell you that, that and maybe they are. I, I don't know. I don't have any insight into what they do. But I would think that Senator Sinema and uh, Congressman Siskamani, just because of both of them from southern Arizona, Siskamani uh, uh, is an immigrant. He is a naturalized citizen to the U.S., that they would have communication, one in the House, one in the Senate, on something about what can we do, you know, and for Senator Sinema to say, what can we do to get Republicans on board with a piece of legislation that I can get, can sell that's not going to alienate the Democrats that will walk away from this on some of the issues. Some of those things that you want, you know, with the current makeup of the Congress are never going to happen. And uh, Siskamani has got to be in that conversation and say, but you got to remember, we have a Republican controlled House. We have to have a piece of legislation that a House version is going to closely match. So what do we do? 
Who do we bring into the conversation? Now, maybe they're doing this behind the scenes. I don't know that. But if you're going to tell me one piece of legislation is going to be put on the table, and if it's not voted on, it's the Republicans that don't want to fix the border issue because they didn't vote on that piece of legislation, that's a joke. I mean, that is a political joke and an insult. Again, this it's fair to say this. Why would anybody, not just Republicans, why would anybody at first glance agree with a piece of legislation that President Biden is touting that he says will shut down the border? What name one thing that this president has done? Name one that this president has done to help the border situation. Name one. And it's taken now a plurality of Democrats to go to him and say, you've got to do something. You've got to save Chicago. You've got to save New York. You've got to save Massachusetts and Denver and D.C. You've got to save these places. They're overwhelmed. They're overrun. We can't do this anymore. That's why he's considering changing his mind. And then they're going to turn around. If they're going to play the blame game and point the finger, I don't think it's going to work. Number one, but number two, it's not fixing the problem. When you do a national press conference and you go after Republicans that you're trying to convince to get on board, you're not trying to convince anybody to get on board. You're just playing the blame game and everybody knows it. And this issue is too important to not say we need to get together and find a solution. One try isn't enough. It's not just not enough. And it's frustrating. What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to go back to the crime and punishment conversation we had earlier. One major American city has so short staffed in their police department that they're only answering emergency calls that are actually happening in real time. I'll tell you where that is and what we can learn from it next. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I talked about public safety earlier today, and I used this as a launching point, that that um, the suspect that stabbed two Arizona women uh, that is being held here instead of being extradited on murder charges to New York has been formally indicted. Two counts of attempted uh, uh, first-degree murder, two counts of aggravated assault, two counts of attempted sexual assault, one count of attempted armed robbery, and one count of theft by means, a theft of means of transportation or trying to steal a car. Um, the indictment replaces the criminal charges the, the, the office initially filed against him. The charges stem from two incidents that, that occurred on February 17th and 18th in Phoenix and in surprise. Um, I started this as a launching point because there is uh, a lot a lot of the convictions and a lot of the court cases that we're seeing around the country have to do as much with policy as they do with the law, that there's a lot of discretion. Officers have a lot of discretion many times in how they handle a situation, just like you would. Uh, I'll give you an example. If um, if somebody came into uh, went into us, if you're a police officer and someone goes into a store and it's a single mom and she's down on her luck and she steals some baby food uh, or she steals diapers and baby food, um, you're still going to stop her from stealing. But I believe you're going to treat that situation in the aftermath differently than you would if I walked into a grocery store and I stole a bottle of wine and a couple of steaks. Same crime. Uh, different intent and the discretion you use as a police officer and how you deal with those things. Um, 
And so there's discretion in prosecution as well. And we understand that there's a lot of politics at play. I, I've used the example of the L.A. district attorney, which is the same thing as a county attorney. Um, and I've talked about George Gascon, who used to be a police chief here in the Valley. And George Gascon is being criticized by law enforcement because you have hardworking cops in that county that are making really good cases against people. And those cases are being thrown out. Specifically, as this pertains, it pertains to this is in New York. We know that there's video of a beatdown of police officers by illegal immigrants in this country, and the they were arrested, and then they were released without any bail, and they fled, and they were going to go to L.A. and they were arrested and brought back to New. I believe they were returned to New York, but the concern that somebody that would commit a crime like this, attempted murder out of a, of a couple of people, uh, aggravated assault, a robbery, a theft of a vehicle, you, you're committing violent crimes in our community. It's a legitimate concern of this community that if we send this guy back to you so that you can hold him accountable for the crimes in your community, we have a right for justice as well. And when you see that happening and you're concerned that what if we send this guy back and they give him some kind of no bail or low bail and he runs, now we don't get justice and they don't get justice. That's a legitimate concern. You know, the city of Pittsburgh, and I, I teased this before we went to the commercial, I talked about the city of Pittsburgh, and I'm going to read this headline to you. It, to me, this is unbelievable. Pittsburgh police officers will only respond to in-progress emergency calls amid staffing shortages. The Pittsburgh Bureau of Police will no longer send officers to respond to some 911 calls. The news outlet stated that Pittsburgh officers will not respond to calls involving criminal mischief, theft, harassment, and burglar alarms. Instead, those calls and other similar emergencies will be handled by the telephone reporting unit online reporting. According to a recent press release in the, in, from the department, dispatch will assign reports to the TRU for calls that do not require an in-person response by officers. This is in response to the short staffing of the police department. When you call the police, you expect a police officer to show up. Staffing issues are causing agencies across the country, including Phoenix PD, to make some hard choices. The Phoenix Police Department a few years ago reassigned a lot of officers some specialty details. They put them back in uniforms. The reason why is the number one responsibility of a police agency is patrol. So they had to have enough officers on the street to cover the calls for service. And what it does is it is those other Things that happen in a neighborhood, a barking dog, dispute between neighbors, uh, things that are not an emergency, but you call the police to intervene. And that's what they tell us to do as a society. Don't take the law into your own hands. Just call us. We'll resolve the issue. You don't want to get into a fight. You don't want to get into a certainly not a physical altercation over something. Let the police handle it. Call us. We'll take care of it. And so you're someone that, you know, most people outside of a traffic ticket possibly or maybe a fender bender, you don't have much of an interaction with law enforcement. And we don't. Very rarely do we. So when you decide it's time to call the police, it's a big enough issue to you to have the authorities intervene. Well, when you live in a, in a city where they don't have enough officers and these things are happening, your quality of life is diminished because you don't get that response time. It's hours and hours and hours before that happens. And so we, again, I, I ask this every time I talk about it. What kind of a city do you want? What city do you live in? 
Uh, I really didn't talk much in this segment about the the fire department, but when you dial 911 and there's a medical emergency in your house or your kitchen catches on fire and you've tried to put it out, but you can't get it out and you dial 911, a 10-minute response time, your house is going to be burned down. You've got somebody in a critical medical situation in your home and you got to wait 10 minutes for that rescue truck to show up. It's a lifetime. What kind of city do we want? We have got to have a city where our city leadership does more than just say public safety first. I'm not saying Phoenix doesn't. We just have to make sure they stay on it. All right, we're going to talk consumer confidence in the economy in the next hour. It's a big issue. We'll talk about it next.